Hey everyone, welcome back to another Deep End podcast with myself, Rick Alexander, and my fiance, Danielle McGinnis. So today we're going to talk, well, we're going to circle around a question, which is what happens in a relationship when only one person is doing inner work? Or I guess really we could we could say this a couple of different ways, but what happens when only one person is working in a certain direction in life, whether that's inward, outward, whatever. What happens, what kind of tension is caused in the relational dynamic? I think it's something we see you know, in our clients. It's something you can read quite a bit about. And also it's something that like we experience a lot. And I think the there's a period of our relationship personally that was like really tough because we were so unevenly working on each other or how would you say it working on ourselves I should say um I would say like that perhaps the way that you and I were being supported whether that be in external containers or not which was far different Mm. and so I think um with that I think the first kind of point in this conversation that I think is really important is that it led us we were it felt to me as if there wasn't a lot of clarity around our own value systems and without that clarity there wasn't Mm. connection to what the value system of the relationship was yeah and so I feel like at least getting some clarity on self helps you relate to other and helps you um be empathetic to the other situation as opposed to maybe trying to make that a reflection of the unlived potential in you yeah because that's what happens is it it is that things that aren't personal become personal i think in some sense totally but let's i guess maybe let's first let's just back up and like how would you define inner work Ugh. Or what would you? Because I, you know, I think about inner work in my own life. There's sort of two. I guess I could I could say yeah, something about it, and then you can. Yeah. In my own life, I consider inner. There's two separate, um, two avenues of inner work that I've been pursuing quite often or quite uh, extensively. I guess you could say. Um, you know, Young in his lectures on Kundalini talks about Eastern mythology as two thousand years of introversion, right? And so it's it is a it's a spiritual system, but it's a philosophy. I'm talking about yoga. It's a philosophy. It's a spiritual system. Um, that's all based around the inner world, right? Around what's going on in you or or you as a microcosm of the macrocosm. Um, so there's yoga, which for me is like postural yoga and then also meditation, those two things. And the way I see them working together is they sort of because there's so much that's stored in our body. There's so many mental impressions and old stories and things that are stored in the body that yoga for me is a practice of going into that body and like being there and, and learning to regulate myself in that place. And then the second part of that is more of a self-reflective type of inner work, which is for me analysis, psychoanalysis. And so I see those two working together in my life, which is why I wanted to talk about them together because one really puts me in the body and it's not it's more about creating space and like not and just allowing whatever's in there to come up and then mm-hmm. in the analytic container it's much more about looking inward and being self-reflective and asking what's actually important to me and what and reflecting on different things that come up in the inner world um, so those two work complementary but for me it's 
the idea of at some point in my life, because I'm a very extroverted person, making the decision that I had to prioritize what was in me, my values, my heart, my love, my passions for things. And, and when I started to take that, pers- that self-reflective perspective inward, mm-hmm. um, I consider that to be inner work. But I mentioned the way that I do it because having that external container, like of course we're both coaches, having that place that I can go and actually unpack these things um, and having containment around that self-reflective process as well as a mirror, which is what the analyst does or the coach does. Um, So I consider inner work to be something along those lines, like a self-reflective inward process um, that is certainly enhanced by the help of uh, both work in the body and having somebody else yeah I think your definition of inner work is really going to depend on like what you determine the word work to mean right like I mean for some people like a traditional psychotherapeutic approach and like bolstering their sense of I like their ego is going to be inner work for them um I don't necessarily see it that way anymore like I I definitely obviously have this more kind of Jungian or archetypal approach to things. Um, but for me, how I would define inner work is some type of, in any way, some type of ritual containment so that the subjective experience can be consciously met. And so what I mean by that is like any type of ritual containment. So that could be... Mm journaling that could be a psychoanalytic container could be a coaching container that could be your yoga practice some type of ritual that your subjective sense of of self can like come to consciousness Mm. and i think that through the Jungian and archetypal lens it's how is that subjective sense of self in relationship to the greater Whole, whether that be the collective, whether that be the whole of, of the relationship, um, the service that I'm providing to the world. And so I see inner work as kind of an archaeological exploration of, of those things that we may not know about the psyche mm-hmm. um, being itself, our being being around us and so yeah I don't know if that makes sense but (laughs) yeah well I like that idea of allowing your subjectivity to rise to consciousness and then confronting that in a sort of conscious manner because there are a lot of what I don't know motivations and habitual patterns that keep us from actually turning toward that subjectivity it gets projected outward we don't meet it with consciousness yeah i think that's the biggest thing about the ritual containment is it it kind of forces you inwards Mm -hmm. like it forces that introversion um because i do think that there is a propensity to project subject onto the object and whether that's you know our political state of being our collective problems our partner like whatever it is like if that subjective experience is is like welling energy in the unconscious it's going to get projected out Mm -hmm. and so I feel like inner work is is turning into those psychic uh, instinctual experiences that are happening um, 
within and and creating a bridge to the outer so that it's conscious it's not happening unconsciously i mean ever i mean it's definitely going to happen unconsciously um i remember young having this quote of like the ego the sense of i is like the center of the personality and most often it's the most unconscious part of the person Mm. because you don't really know who you are or who it is that's saying what you're saying or feeling what you're feeling or doing what you're doing oftentimes that's possessed by complexes and and different things of the psyche so um, I think it's really just becoming conscious of patterns Mm. Um, so yeah okay cool so that is like a good inroad I think to this conversation which is like what happens when one person is doing that and the other person isn't and knowing that what we unconsciously do is project our inner world onto the external world when we're not working to bring those projections back right becoming conscious is i think in some sense the practice of bringing projections back into the self from the world Mm -hmm. right so that you can regain all that you actually are so when we talk about relational dynamics then this it's important probably to understand that because if one person is doing that and the other person is still like in that place of high projection, then it, it gets what it feels like is that they're not willing to meet your needs. Well, I think the coming back to that like ritual containment, I think what that does is it creates a boundary around the material that you're working on. Hmm. And I think that's really important because if one person is doing the work, whatever that means, and the other person isn't, right? The person that isn't, I feel, is probably going to have a higher propensity to project things into the other sense of self. Right. And if that person is doing inner work, and that inner work is establishing a boundary around their sense of self, the person that's doing the inner work can have a felt sense of this is this is my work and this is the other person's like you can kind of differentiate and discriminate what the stuff that's coming in yeah, is right and i feel like that i think that's a big part of doing inner work is establishing the difference between self and other yeah and in knowing that like this actually might not be my stuff. Of course, my response to that stuff coming in is my work, but like it might not be my stuff altogether. And if that's the case, then I don't necessarily need to take this so personally. Mm. Um, so I think boundaries is like a crucial part of that. Energetic boundaries, yeah. emotional boundaries, things like that. Because I do feel like there is a propensity for the person... <laughs> Well, the problem is you don't know where your boundaries are if you don't know who you are. I feel like this is a broad statement and I have no idea if this is accurate or not. So I'm just kind of jamming on this and seeing where it goes. But it feels to me like there's a higher propensity for the person who's not doing inner work to be the projector and the person who is doing inner work to be the hook for the projection. Yes. Um, I think so too. Because I think that what happens is that that... Well, I just, I notice that a lot is that the person doing the work then is like almost, I think before, before the boundaries become figured out and, and the sense of self starts to constellate around something more true, what happens is that that person tries to do their partner's work for them. 
mm-hmm. right? And so that makes them, I think, a, a really easy projector screen. Yeah, and that gets really messy too because if you're trying to determine who you are and you have no idea who you are um, and you're trying to do work for somebody else who has no idea who they are, right? like that can get really really confusing right um and overwhelming too because you're handling more than your own load of things yeah and i i do think that like to the to a certain extent like our psyche can only handle so much until we start dissociating and if we're dissociating we're probably not discriminating yeah because i think what happens in a lot of relationships is that there is an unconscious agreement of what's happening like the, maybe the female becomes the nurturer or something along those lines. I'm actually just using examples from our relationships and not trying to overgeneralize, I guess. Yeah. Right? But if I don't have that capacity within myself, then I look for it in my partner, right? And so then you even unconsciously take that on for a period of time. And then at some point, like, you get resentful of that because you don't actually want to be a mom. You want to be a partner, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's like a case of you're not even trying to do my work for me, but there is this unconscious dynamic that happened when we were growing up or whatever that or, or, or we didn't evolve through, we didn't finish evolving through. And relationship gives us an opportunity to, like, figure that out, what those are, and work through them. But, mm-hmm. man, that... Yeah, like I think there's such an there's so many unconscious dynamics that get recreated in a relational container. Well, I'm thinking like relationally, there's probably again I don't know this for a fact, um, and I don't want to reduce it down to anything. But my curiosity is, wouldn't we attract a partner who's way better at something than we are? So that they can hold our inferior functions mm-hmm. and then we can just act out of our dominant functions and be like really great in the world. And then we think that we're both, you know, the partners holding the compensation of, of what's lacking in, in you. Yeah. And so that becomes a problem because your partner's carrying your unlived life and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And so I think the resentment is that you're not actually fulfilling your own destiny of doing your work. Right. And so it's almost, it's not that your partner's actually Hmm. stealing your soul, but it's like they're holding it and the longer they hold it and the more it goes unlived, I think the more propensity there is to like that really unconscious, like destructive resentment, contempt Yes. might show up because that person has a part of you and you might have consciously or unconsciously given it away to them mm. um, and you want it back. And I think that the dynamics in the relationship, whether it be conflict throughout the kind of duration of the relationship, are probably actually just you trying to restore those maybe inferior parts of yourself Mm. and just because problems or conflicts are coming up in a relationship doesn't mean that either of you are a problem or the relationship's a problem it just is asking for consciousness yeah right it's asking for attention yeah and so does does all of that make sense yes i yeah it does to a large degree because i'm i just read this part in young like 
maybe it was even last night, but he just talks about how these really, tra- how really traditional roles, like a man could go his entire life, especially in the past with his female partner holding his yeah. anima, right? His, his, fem- his feminine. feminine, right. His, fu- his feeling function and all of that. And so, um, yeah, it's really fascinating because that, um, Robert Johnson wrote a book called the inner gold, which is about that idea of projection and that like, it's actually, it's not a problem that they're holding that for you. It's that at some point, again, that's becoming conscious. You take that projection back. Mm-hmm. And like, it's important to understand, like, I think that's, that's what's behind like celebrity worship and all that shit is like, whenever we, we see something that like turns us on in some way that like perks us up, that inspires us, a author, a movie, a book, it's like, well, they're holding that, but that's waking up in you. Otherwise, you wouldn't even know about You wouldn't even think it was cool. It wouldn't grab your attention. It wouldn't grab you, right? The reason it grabs you is because that thing's trying to wake up in you. And I think so many of us are content to stay in this really small sense of self where we project all these qualities outward. Mm-hmm. Oh, my wife is the one that feels. You know, my, um, I don't know, just, just thinking like the thinking about authors and different people that I look up to. It's so easy to be like, well, that's them. It's not me. Oh, I mean, like kind of a non-traditional way of looking at, at this is like, you know, that was kind of us. And I was like, oh, you're you're the creative one. Right. I'm the, the practical one that can get shit done. And the, you're the kind of like floaty, flighty, creative adventurer. And like recognizing how resentful I would get of your creative projects because – that dormant creativity was like pushing up from the bottom of my soul and Mm. I wasn't doing anything about it but looking at you as the creative one Mm. and like that pissed me off and what that did that anger was actually trying to inform me like hey something's trying to wake up in you Mm. do something to like fight for your creativity rather than fight with you about your creative projects. Yeah. It's Um, interesting because that waking up in you and then at the same time you being like, that's not me, that friction creates a sort of psychic heat that like leads mm -hmm. to transformation, I think. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think the one thing that we are talking about this morning when we talked about doing this deep end is like, it's really important to recognize like what the kind of the shadow qualities that can come up when maybe you're refusing to follow those those psychic calls or or to even grab on those projections right right and so it's really interesting because something that i i said was like you know it's very important for both parties to recognize how incredibly like destructive their psyches can get in order to like restore the sense of self mm-hmm. or to restore the the individual I would say to like bring two whole individuals together but like if you don't see yourself as the person that would like destroy somebody else's life to like make you feel more comfortable mm. um I think that's a problem yeah right because it's an and we were talking about it this morning it's like it's so unconscious yes. that like you see um you know, I, I felt this in myself, like I was in a past relationship and I, and my partner wanted coaching and I bought it for them. Like I bought them like a coaching package or something, but man, there was some shit in me that did not want to buy it. Like that didn't 
that was like a what are they gonna find out that's like scared like that is whole fear, yeah. fear holding so tightly onto this this constructed sort of persona sense of self the personal sense because i don't think you're not a psychological individual in that place otherwise they could go do whatever they wanted to do and it would mean nothing about you so this is i think a really important part of the conversation so a big thing of studying Hillman's work in archetypal psychology is he's like, okay, so if you're going to explore the realm of soul, then you need to get interested into the realm of death hmm. and deaths and dying. And you want to explain why that is just for people that are haven't I, read Dream in the Underworld? <laughs> um, I would refer to Dream in the Underworld, but I would say that um, a confrontation with soul requires parts of ourselves that are constructed around certainty to get uh, using a Helmanian word corrupted to to be poisoned to die so that something bigger than just the ego the the sen- the tiny little sense of self can flourish and move through you um but anyway <laughs> with that being said you know that fear i think is a fear of of death, death of that particular phase mm. of the relationship, yeah, death yeah. of those projections, death of who you were with that person, death of who they were. Mm. And like, I feel like if there isn't like at least an acceptance of this cannot be a linear process to be in a relationship, like this is going to be a descent, an ascent, a stagnation a descent again Mm. um a coming together coming up like it's it's circular it's paradoxical it doesn't make sense and that is death as well um and so i feel like if there's not an acceptance of that are you even in a relationship that isn't just trying to get your needs met does that Mm. make sense right right yeah yeah the the needs are like because they're not they're not like true needs they're like persona needs they're needs to maintain a sort a certain sense of self that you've built up that's what i mean it's like of course you want to be with somebody who can you can be seen and, and certain needs can be met but like if that relationship is circling around getting your needs met and you're not willing to die to the your part. comfort needs, right? It's something like that. Yeah, and, and maybe pleasure too. Yeah. Um, I I don't know. I think again, I'm not speaking from like certainty here. I'm just exploring. Right. But I do feel like that example that you just gave to me amplified the importance of um death in mm. a relationship. Yeah. And. Right, right. And I mean, it's so funny looking back at that time and having that sort of hesitancy because I was so clung to my own persona at that time. Like, what I really needed was death. Like, it needed to die. So what do you, like, Um, to the audience, what do you mean by being just clung to persona? I I guess what I would call it now, after lots of self-reflection, is that there's a certain kind of terror in me not being who I think you need me to be Mm. you know of like realizing like there are certain things like I need to feel special I need to there's like all kinds of little nuances of it 
but there are like certain things I need you to see me as successful so that I'm worthy of the things that actually deep down I really need. So it's an image of yourself, like an external prote- image of yeah, yourself. Yeah, it's like protecting an image of yourself. And so the image of yourself is what I was clung to or what we cling to, right? Mm-hmm. And that, of course, thwarts transformation because in my view, transformation comes from the inside out. It's moving through you. Right? So you're clinging to the image of yourself rather than the essence of yourself. Perfectly said, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now let's... Now let's move on though, because then there's a period in our relationship where, it, you know, it's funny because that led me to a pretty dark place where then I did actually like hire a coach for the first time and like really start figuring out what it would mean to try to live some sort of a meaningful life. And that sent me on this incredible quest. But then years down the road, I meet what? you. What? Okay, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, so then I meet you and we, and we're together and we can move through we had a really we had a really hectic like beginning because of people dying and there's a lot of grief and moving and stuff you did plant medicines yeah I, yeah i had an Many ayahuasca deaths. journey <laughs> yeah like it just like a lot of sh- a lot of moving of psychic death. content a lot of death yeah literal um, and metaphorical yeah and being and like feeling good and being happy and like was so important to me that it was like causing a lot of struggle i say that just to add a little bit of background to then we get to a place where um, I fell into a kind of stagnant place. I think at the time I was sort of going through a bit of a spiritual crisis also. Well, okay, let's... I was definitely going through a spiritual crisis <laughs> because my God image was dying and I had no fucking clue who I was. And... <laughs> um, or what I believed or anything. Um, which actually turned out to be okay. But I... I there was a period of a while where you first, it, you weren't doing analysis at first, but you were doing therapy with a Jungian informed kind of um, therapeutic container. Mm-hmm. And then you did switch to analysis. So there was a, I don't know how long that period was, but I wasn't really engaged in any kind of inner work. Other, I mean, I was still journaling and writing and stuff, but not, I wasn't taking my own work seriously and like really trying to like take the process of individuation seriously I think it's probably the actual thing um and you were and like I guess I could say things about what that was like on my end but what was it like on your end was just because I I think maybe Mm. to dip out of the conceptual into like what's it like in the relationship or what was our experience Mm. well I think that it definitely was like pulling a lot of stuff that I had projected onto you back so um really changing and morphing my own self-image of like I can actually be a person with or without you Mm. that was like a big thing um seeing myself and like feeling myself as a creative individual that was another thing that was like a big kind of like pulling that projection back yeah um which is funny because I'm at the time a very probably my persona anyway is very creative mm -hmm. you know I'm a writer I literally create as Mm -hmm. a a living so it's interesting to think like that we attract people that have projections we do need to take back yeah and so there was like those things um but I think that to and also I was definitely like more deeply connecting to some split off affect and feeling like emotion let's just say emotions my somatic experience I was definitely trying to like integrate that um Initially, I started doing that more in, in the realm of dreams, which was incredibly helpful to kind of like 
get into the body. Mm. But then I started feeling like immense kind of, what's the word? Pressure to like be somewhat like your therapist in our relationship. Yeah. And so I felt like I was like the holding space for a lot of your stuff. And when I started like really diving into like my own material, it got too much. Like I couldn't, I couldn't hold it. And like, that was really hard. I remember like having a conversation with you about that. Like, I don't know if we can have these conversations because it's a lot. Hmm. And like, like really feeling of where basically that was like my own work of recognizing like, it's okay to like, let him struggle and suffer. Hmm. Totally. Um, because actually that was probably the best thing is like recognizing that I was still here in the relationship, but I wasn't going to serve that role anymore. Mm. Um, and I think that was kind of like the catalyst to kind of move things of like, I can't hold your stuff and my stuff at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. It's so fascinating that you talk about that. I remember a very particular point where I was realizing that in fact, you were holding so much of my stuff. And I talk to men about this all the time because I think that there's a masculine feminine dynamic there too, which is like you are closer to that feeling function. And I'm like, I don't know what I feel about this, mm-hmm. you know? And so you, it's so it's such a natural kind of, a natural kind of thing that happens, I think anyway, between masculine and feminine. And, and uh, where was I going with this? Oh, the realization that you were holding. I talk to men about this often because the between that point of you're constantly kind of holding my feeling function my shit my you know everything's about me because you're holding it all from that point to the point where you take all of that back and own it are about a thousand deaths and a ton of grieving and like i i just try to make that really fucking clear to people like because for me that's what it was like there's a realization so the moment that you're holding my stuff and I start to take it back, the next thing I feel is that I'm completely alone. Totally. And that's another thing is like, I think that there's also a lot that comes up in that space of like, you've abandoned me. Yes. that's That was the first feeling. And I and like, I think not allowing you to project that onto me of like keeping my space of like, no, I'm here, but I'm not doing that anymore yeah. type of thing. I think that like, there's a fine line between that and abandonment well it's interesting because i think about how grateful i am that somehow you held that boundary and did that because because like you got to go through that Mm -hmm. like that realization like you're alone you've always been this is what it's like to be here it's actually really really was really important though you know and so and and like had you not held that boundary like in past relationship in a million different ways I would figure out how to get you to rehold my shit. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, rather than take that back and be like, oh, I'm alone and what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Rather, I would figure out how to manipulate the situation. And I'm, this is unconscious. This is not like something I'm figuring out necessarily cognitively. Mm-hmm. But like, we're just good like that as humans. And so I think that I would have figured out anyway how to like, either we'd break up or you'd hold it. See, I think that's kind of like coming back to like it's so important for you to recognize that you are the person that kind of can like shift 
contents around in the relationship to get it to serve yourself rather than the totality of where the relationship's going. Yeah, and that's kind of what you meant, I think, by like don't think for a moment that you're not the person that will unconsciously manipulate a situation to get what you need out of it, which may destroy the other person. Totally, and the relationship altogether. Yeah, and Um, that's what happens, I think, and then we go find a new projector screen. So I think another thing was, um, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but like my feeling is, is like during that period of time, that spiritual crisis, there wasn't a lot of like creative stuff that you were bringing up. No. Right? Like you weren't podcasting, you weren't writing as much. It was like kind of like the well is dry and it needed to be dry, I think. Yeah. I um, was in mud that had dried ages ago. That's what it <laughs> felt like. Which I'm I think stuck. is probably the perfect position that you probably needed to be in. For sure. Um, but I remember like going through another kind of interesting it had to do with projection in some way but like we would have these morning conversations Mm. and like I think because your well was dry it almost felt like you were trying to like feed off the things that I was like stewing on and like warp them into your own creations and Mm. I got so upset by that like I was so upset because I would like crock pot and stew on these things that I was like working with this therapist on or like came from a dream and we would have a really beautiful conversation and then you would go do a podcast on it and it would really hurt my feelings Mm. because it felt like like but that was my creative like that was my creative musing Mm. and now it didn't feel like mine anymore and like it's really interesting working through that of like trying not to like make you out to be the enemy like all he's the thief that's stealing my shit Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. as opposed to looking at it in reflection and recognizing like when you're in that like kind of like negredo phase Mm -hmm. hillman talks about it alchemically like the blacker than black psychic position where there's no images Mm -hmm. there's like no creativity there's no movement so to like be presented with maybe a maybe more moist wellspring of of images and be like oh i can get movement from that Mm -hmm. as opposed to like actually making it mean anything about you does that make sense yes and i think i mean okay so if i riff off that i'm gonna get kind of far from the relationship space but that's one of the issues with having being clung to the image of your persona is that what happens when the well goes dry i'm the creative one right i'm like and not only that, but that is how I know myself. It is how I make my living and stuff. So the well goes dry. Rather than go in, like you just start getting panicky of like, how can I maintain this image that is dying? Mm-hmm. And it's dying. It's beyond my control, you know? Yeah. And it's like, well, let's kill somebody else's creativity to maintain the persona. Right. Like that's what it feels like. Mm. Um, which I think is like, that was a really hard thing for me because I had to like not only check myself in that position of like oh these these aren't your ideas either like these aren't your things but they they did come through a deeper part of me that was really vulnerable at the time Mm. and like it was like newly exposed and it just felt like I had kind of taken this 
band-aid off to this like maybe deep wound of creativity and someone had just come and poured salt in my wounds or something it was just Mm. so vulnerable it's such a vulnerable space in our relationship Mm. and I think being able like you being able to receive that and like really kind of like be mindful of of what that meant for me um, yeah, because me receiving that was simultaneously the actual death that had been needing to happen for years, right? Of like, oh, I'm just a person. Mm. I'm not this image. I'm not this persona. I'm not this mask. I'm not this god. I'm not this inflated sense of self. Like, I'm just me. So there was something else you mentioned in that, too, that was really on point for our discussion about relationships. Oh, making it mean something about you. Mm-hmm. See that? And I think that is, like, again, just getting just trying to circle back to what we're talking about here with the relational dynamics of like when things do come up that cause friction, if you aren't in the habit, it seems to me at least, of constantly questioning the things that come up and trying to figure out, is this mine? Is this learned? You know, what is this kind of thing? Mm -hmm. Then, then it's like, oh, that person's like that. And Mm -hmm. that's makes it much easier for me to justify leaving them or whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. Because that's what they're like. Mm-hmm. And so we, the things that come up mean something about them and their essence. And we're like confusing, I think, like the situation with them mm. in some sense. And I think that, that if one person's doing the work and the other person's not, then navigating that from an uneven place is really tough. So not to kind of like switch the topic but like maybe kind of flip it on its head a little bit and like okay so if one person is doing the work and the other person is not is there an opportunity for growth expansion um greater togetherness like invitate or inviting the other person to do the work right like Mm. kind of where, where we started where i'm thinking of okay so from a nervous system perspective a lot of i guess the aim of the work would be to move from nervous system dysregulation into a more regulated or attuned state of being. Hmm. If that's the case, then you're in a much better position to like, again, discriminate like what's yours, what's the other person's. And you're also in a better position to communicate what the, what the experience is like for you. So there's almost this state of instead of it's just two individual people trying to regulate themselves, if one person is doing the work and at least regulating their nervous system, there's a chance for co-regulation. Totally. And I think that that's actually really beautiful. Um, And I've seen that actually show up in my clientele. It's like I have a lot of clients who it's kind of like a one-sided dynamic and it can be really tough to like navigate that but also I've seen um the person who is doing the work inviting a deepening um I've also seen this with my parent well my mom Mm. in particular is like she's not doing the work that I'm doing but there is like a by maintaining your own regulated state or at least noticing what dysregulates you in being able to co-regulate mm. and be stable and solid enough, like you can actually heal relational wounds in that way. Mm. That doesn't dismiss the other person or you know let them kind of off the hook 
for you to kind of carry the whole load and regulate the whole relationship. But I do think that there is an opportunity to co-regulate. Mm. That's interesting. I think that the image that came in my head, you can tell me if this seems like bullshit or not. <laughs> the image that came in my head is that like there's between two people, there's an energetic rubber band, okay, right? Or band. And one person starts to move and do the work. I don't want to say they're moving upward. I want to say they're moving. Okay. Right? And because who knows? They might be moving downward <laughs> or whatever. They're re- Maybe they're just vibrating. Right. They're moving anyway. That rubber band gets pulled and that causes tension in the relationship between the two people. Mm-hmm. And tension must resolve itself. And mm-hmm. so tension, what's going to happen is either that energy is going to pull that other person toward the one that moved and they remain together in a new place. Mm-hmm. or it's going to break and they're going to break up mm-hmm. or they're going to relinquish do the direction they're going and they're going to get pulled back down to that other person where they are. Mm. Um, and it does seem to me that that is what happens. It's like either, either we're going to go to a new place together and navigate, evolve, figure out this. We're going to go apart or I'm going to try to and this is the hard thing is once you start to become conscious consciousness doesn't move in any other direction so you so in doing that like you start to fold inward on yourself if you are the person that moved initially and then you find the rubber band just to kill this metaphor brings you back to the other person and you decide okay i'm going to abandon my project of individuation in order to create more harmony in the relationship you're going to turn inward and resent it. It's going to be meaningless and you're going to hate yourself and the other person. Mm-hmm. And I think like what happens is anyway, I think that that when one person moves in the relationship, starts to do the work, what, however you want to use, whatever term you want to use, it creates a kind of tension and that tension is going to have to resolve itself in some way. Um, yeah. I think like, man, you know, it just brings to mind some just, things that we've gone through and like examples in in clients of like how much the person who who might not be doing the work tries to demonize your consciousness Mm. or your individuation journey and like almost make it out to be a bad thing that you're becoming more conscious and how like hurtful that can be or can feel but like to actually accept that projection is like the rubber band analogy of getting pulled back into unconsciousness. Mm. And so it does take a lot of courage to like stand up for yourself in your individuation journey in that moment and say, I know that you feel that way, but can we have a conversation about it? Yeah. Right. So that like you don't get pulled back. You can acknowledge that there's a pull backwards, but you maybe you don't get completely pulled back and identified with that, that person's stuff yeah one thing that i noticed is like when people start to first set boundaries that haven't been set it seems to me that like there's a i don't know like it's the unconscious sort of manipulation to push through the boundary and to maintain the status quo and then then it gets into the conversation like if you bring that to consciousness then what you're left with is do you want me do you want the other person to be a worse version of who they are so that you can be comfortable Mm-hmm. Or do you, because, you know, the thing about us doing this, going on this quest or project of individuation or whatever you want to call it, becoming a psychic individual unto ourselves, actually forming a real eye and figuring out who the fuck we are and why we're here. The whole thing about that is that then we get to share that with the world and the people that are in our lives get the best version of us. And so to look at it in the other way, it's like, 
what you're consciously creating an environment in which your partner is not the best version of themselves. Everybody loses in that place. Yeah, so. I, would, I would totally agree with that. Um, something that I that came up when you were kind of like talking about the rubber band analogy, just like Jung's tension of opposites and mm. Hillman's theory of multiplicity. If you, you know, if you can hold things that are perceivably opposite they might not be so opposite they might just be different Mm. you know and just recognizing that like maybe this person isn't so completely opposite than you maybe they're just different and they see the world differently and they respond differently and when you can hold that difference and that polarity and that tension I think what happens is as Robbie Bosnack would say it complexifies Mm. Um, your relationship has more capacity for complexity which I think is actually a really great goal of a relationship is to increase your capacity for complexification Mm. complex conversations complex individuation journeys Um, so yeah I think that's really really important yeah it's so fascinating because like I was thinking of a common bible verse I heard so often growing up is about being unequally yoked or unevenly yoked with another person Mm. and it's so fascinating because in our sort of culture where we focus on the symptom and only the symptom ever or the manifestation there's like this the the thread or the feeling of that bible verse is like if you're a Christian and the other person's not then the relationship's not going to work out Mm -hmm. but like there's something deeper than that you know what again this is my take on it the story you tell yourself doesn't really matter the things you think you believe don't really matter but there's something about you that does matter it's below that it's your essence it's what's real it's how you are in the world Mm -hmm. and it's fascinating because i think that that bible verse what it's not about it's about the implications of being unequally yoked it's about what happens because when you start to clarify values in your life that causes an internal shift and for you to come into alignment with those values Right. And so because there was a point in us where I was in seminary and you were like really exploring this like pagan world. And I was kind of like, what? You know, like it's interesting because I don't feel unequally. I think there's something about our our depth that's really on point, really true and really aligned. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I think focusing on the external manifestation of it isn't very helpful because what's underneath. But I think that's the same idea of like you know, these, the things we give our attention and our time to, that's what we worship. And those cause an internal shift in one direction or another, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think that what happens is, um, well, if if one person is shifting in a certain direction and it's, I don't know, I I think that's what, anyway, I think that's what, I don't know why I got on that, but I think that's what happens. Well, I think like, (laughs) I, maybe it's my unconscious association to Christianity and dogma. I don't know. Uh-huh. But like, I'm just thinking of like, okay, so if you are dogmatic, like very um, rigid in the way that you think about whatever it is, mm. who somebody is, who you are. Yeah, yeah. If, if there's a dogma there and there's like not an openness to like that, that is like Hillman's theory of corruption like that dogma has to be corrupted so that it like kind of breaks apart so that you see what's underneath of it Mm. because what's underneath of it actually I think has a lot of gold to it 
And in alchemy, basically that like beautiful reflective place that we can get in and get like really certain about certain things in our reflections and our ideas, Mm. like as a, oh God, like calling myself a writer, as a writer, like recognizing like, oh my gosh, like those, someone could poke at those ideas and they can fall apart in a second in being okay with what's underneath that. Like, mm. what do I find underneath that? And I think that's actually kind of underneath a lot of the Christian message is like that the serpent is the thing that that has the potential to poison or corrupt. Mm. But what that brings. Consciousness. Consciousness. It brings mm. suffering, but also consciousness. Yeah, and so I think I like, like if you have a very rigid way of viewing relationship yourself, the other person, like watch out for the snakes, mm. you know, cause if you're not willing to like suffer through that poison to change, I, I think like there's going to be deaths there that you don't even know about. Yeah. Um, well, and yet that you will find your entire life became about avoiding. Totally. Because you'll go from one place to the next, one relationship. Yeah, you're to the running. Next. And you're every running time away the from poison the snakes. shows up, yeah, you'll you'll move. Very fascinating. Um, well, I think we're about we're toward the end here. Is there anything else that you wanted to say on this topic? No, I don't think so. I think it. I think it's an interesting conversation. Again, I don't have a particular position on it. I'm not sure. Like yeah. if you know, like it is a particular way if one person's doing the work the other person's not if that like could never work i i don't know well you know at the end of the day all manner of people make it through all manner of shit and at the same time like you see relationships end for very small things like at the end of the day there's a sort of commitment to the container and to some value and to the work but it is interesting to reflect on what happens in that place because we're kind of immersed in it and we've we've kind of been through and in that place yeah definitely not speaking from a position of superiority here at all like it's just kind of like our ideas and then our experiential musings of it um so just want to make that really clear that we do not have this figured out (laughs) oh yeah disclaimer i never know (laughs) all right all right that's cool thanks guys